If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, and we'll start reading. Verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that You have revealed to us, given to us as a gift. Lord, may we understand Your Word this morning and what it is You have to say to us today. Bless now this reading of Your Word and the hearing and the responding to this Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit is God's answer. It's what Jesus came to bring. It's who He came to bring. It's who He Himself was anointed by. And it's what we talked about last week. Anointed by the Spirit. As is most visibly seen at His baptism. And yet, His whole life, He was, as we say in the Creed, every single Sunday... He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And yet, the Holy Spirit doesn't begin at Jesus' birth or our conception or at Jesus' baptism or at Pentecost. But instead, He is in the beginning. He's, I mean, you turn back one chapter and... <clears throat> The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of Christ in us is the mystery of the Gospel. It's what Paul can't get over. And that is, Christ can be in us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself makes a stunning statement when He says to His disciples, I must leave you. It's not good enough for Me to be here physically like this with you. Instead, there's another person coming who will help. He's called the Helper, the Advocate, the One who comes alongside of us in a better way apparently than Jesus could have physically. And we hear Peter in 1 Peter say to those he's writing to, again, and just an amazing 
statement, and that is, we heard the voice of God from heaven. We, we audibly heard it in our ears. We physically touched God in the flesh. And yet, we have a more sure word here and in the Spirit. I mean, what a fascinating statement. You see, the Holy Spirit, whether we understand it or not, is God's answer to our problem. Now, one has to begin to understand the Old Testament in particular to get to the problem because the answer comes in the New Testament. I mean, that's why we like the New Testament so much is there's the answer in it. We like answers. The Old Testament is developing the problem and it's bad, (laughs) quite frankly. Uh, maybe this is why we don't really like the Old Testament as much as you've got a lot of issues going on, a lot of problems, a lot of failure. Would somebody go back there and check on the kids real quick? We've got a guy walking through the parking lot there that's making me a little nervous, Bob. Make sure where he's... may just want to check on that situation. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Just want to make sure we've got uh, security on, on board here. <laughs> We have had an issue before um, at one of our things. But anyway, uh, nothing bad. Anyhow, back to subject. The answer. There's always problems. I mean, why would that surprise us that there's problems? (laughs) Life is full of problems. And uh, in the Old Testament, you get many different kinds of problems. Uh, And quite frankly, we oftentimes see ourselves in these problems. And God has provided an answer for us, and that's where the New Testament comes in. Uh, And so when we get to the New Testament, most of us, if we only read the New Testament, we're deficient on our answer because we don't really understand the problem. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't become as premier, if you will, until the New Testament, but He's here in the Old Testament. And as we um, begin this morning in thinking about God's work, I want, to, I want to kind of outline three different acts, if you will, three different movements that God has accomplished by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Number one is the history of Israel. Number two will be Jesus Christ. And the third act will be Pentecost. So, let's begin here with the history of Israel. God... And again, God's ways are beyond our ways. I don't claim to understand or fully be able to explain to you what all God has done, but it's a mystery. And yet it's a mystery in the sense that it's not totally unknown, but it's not totally comprehended either. Even though there are things that are we are able to understand, it's not fully ever comprehensible, if you will. In the history of Israel, God has set up for us a nation. It is, I mean... What he's done is he has actually created a nation by calling a person named Abraham. This is where everything begins to shift. If you read Genesis, the way everything flows in Genesis is from Genesis 1 to 11, things are getting worse. You have creation 1 and 2, 3 is the fall, and everything's sliding into nothingness uh, from there on out. And then all of a sudden God calls this man Abraham. 
And once he calls Abraham, it puts into motion God's plan, which had been hidden for ages, but is revealed to us. And that is that he wanted to create a nation through which to reveal himself to. And so what does he teach this nation about himself? Really, really three things. One is that there's only one God. That's simple. And most of us in this room, especially in Western, uh, the Western world is... Look, there's only one God, and yeah, that's, that's how it's always been. But that's not how the rest of the world understands God to be, or the gods to be, I should say. Reality to be. No, there are multiple gods, polytheistic worldviews. And God over and over again stresses them, I am the only one, there's nobody else. There are no council of the gods, there's no forces of nature that are God's, I'm it. And I'm only one. There's only one of me. I am the only God. It seems very simple, and yet he stresses the point throughout the entire Old Testament. That's what he's trying to teach them. And every chance they get, they run to something else. Whether it be their own self, setting their own self up as God, or whether it be these false gods who are often called idols, which in Hebrew, idols mean, I mean, it means nothing. Literally, the term means nothing. So when Ezekiel, for instance, or Isaiah says, you're running after idols, you're running after nothing. It's like chasing the wind. And isn't that how sin looks? Chasing the wind? You can't ever seem to really grab it. It's always needing more. Just like our text that Deborah read, so strong what Paul says about the body. Yeah, we need food, but after you get food, you need more food. There's never enough. It's the same thing with our sexual drive. It's the same thing with our lust of our eyes or the lust of this world. Seeking this world is like grabbing at the wind. You'll you'll never get it. You'll never catch up. It's never enough. And yet, the Spirit of God is said to be like a wind. A wind that satisfies. A wind that, again, we can't control by grabbing onto. God's gift of the Spirit is never something that we are in control of. But instead, just as the text said... We need to realize that we're the temple of God's who? God's Spirit. Again, this is God's gift to us. He is God's answer to our body. To making our body satisfied. I mean, it's what He tried to teach Israel over and over again. I am all you need. And every chance they got, they ran somewhere else. They ran to these nothings. You know, kids fascinate us, fascinate me. They know to do, they know what to do, and they don't do it. Or they know what they shouldn't be doing, and they do that on purpose. And you're like, why? Why would what? What compelled you to do that? And they never have an answer. It's a, it's a pointless question, really. You know, I've stopped asking it. I don't ask now, why did you do that? Because uh, who cares? They're kids. 
They want to be rebellious. It's, it's amazing. You don't have to teach a child to say, mine. You have to teach them to share. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. These things just naturally occur because of who we are. Of what's been passed down to us. That is a sinful nature. That is a bent toward doing what we want to do. I mean, you know, even as adults, the older I get, and I'm only 30, but the older I get, the more I see that adults are just really big kids. They do the same thing. We cover it up a little nicer. It's kind of covered up in some nice words, but it's the same thing. We still say, mine! Or we lie. Or we want our way. And even when we know it would be better to help that person than to do our own thing, we do our own thing. I do my own thing. It's amazing. Even when we know we're just grabbing at what? Nothing. Reminds me of that scene in The Matrix where Cypher, who is a type of Judas, he's betraying the group, looks at this uh, bite of steak. He says, you know, I know this isn't real. (laughs) It's computer generated. And yet, after all these years of living in a real world that I don't like either, he crushes into the fibers of the steak. You can hear it. And he says, ignorance is bliss. He would choose a fake world, a world of grasping, a world of truly nothing over real. And the more our culture tends toward reality TVs and redefining for us what is real and what we should want, marketing to us all times and in all ways, all sorts of things, I have to stop myself sometimes and wonder if I'm truly hearing God anymore. Or am I only listening to what my flesh is saying or listening to what other people are telling me my flesh needs? It's a real danger in our time, in our life, that we look and say, is the Spirit really the answer to my problems, to my body? God says, I'm only one and I've created all things and I've also revealed myself in Israel. That's the three things He taught them. I mean, if you want to summarize the whole Old Testament, that's it. That's what He's trying to do in the Old Testament. I'm the only one there is. I'm the one who made you. And I'm the one who revealed myself in Israel. In this nation of a bunch of, what seems to us, a bunch of bumbling idiots. And yet, we see ourselves there. I see myself there. His name was too holy to even say in the Old Testament, Yahweh. His nature was too grand to be formed into a man-made object. This is what He taught them. God is a spirit. I am not you. This is what He's saying in the Old Testament. I'm not like you. And there's a 
you know it if you've ever read the New Te- Old Testament for five minutes. Is He's not us, and we're not like Him. He is separate. He is holy. Holy Spirit. He's not caught up in material things of being suppressed by this body, of getting tired, of needing sex. He doesn't need sex. He doesn't get tired. He is not us. He is spirit and he's holy. He is separate. He's other. That's two things he's teaching in the Old Testament. But then something amazing happens. You say, okay, we finally got that lesson, God. Thank you for teaching us over those 2,000 years since you called Abraham. 20 centuries. You taught us that you're, you're not like us. We're not like you. And then Jesus comes. Those are wrench into the whole theological machine that they've built. And the whole thing shuts down with him. He becomes the center. And what is the message of the New Testament? What is the message of Jesus Christ? God is with us. He's not like us, but he chose to be with us. And not only did He chose to be with us, He chose to become one of us. What kind of mystery is that? He's not us. He's not like us. He's separate than us, and yet He's with us. And He is us. He became one of us in flesh and blood. He took on our headaches. He had to take a nap. He did one time in a boat, and they woke Him up. He cried. When his loved one died, he was fully human. He took on our humanity without becoming less than God. Instead, he raised us up. It's not a matter of him stooping down. Instead, he raises us up. He puts out the hand. What a mystery. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, which means God saves So he teaches us something new. It's almost like we've been in school for what? 4,000 years since Abraham now? And what has he taught us up to Jesus Christ is that he's the only God. He created everything. He's not us. He's separate than us. And then he teaches us in Jesus that he becomes one of us. He takes on our flesh. That our flesh can be obedient. Our body can be a temple of prayer. We can submit to God in love and in trust and in true faith. He teaches us that He's with us. That the flesh, our body... It's not bad. We're not meant to be angels. Most of the time we think, oh yeah, we separate and compartmentalize our life and say, yeah, now, now I've got to be spiritual. I've got to, got to put on something here, work something up that's spiritual. We can't ever be purely spiritual. We will never be purely spirit. God didn't make us like that. He made the angels like that, but not us. That's the point of the resurrection. The resurrection matters because the body matters. 
Your body matters physically. It matters to God enough that He took on one. From Mary, by the Spirit. And as our text says here, He's the one who gives us life. He animates us. That's what Spirit does is animate. Bring life. It's like Rachel was saying and the song was that we, that we sang earlier. Here's this great war that had happened in all these dead bones of rotted people that used to live. And then the Spirit of God breathes across that valley and guess what happens? The bones stand up. Next point is flesh comes on the bones and then life comes in the person. It's the same picture here. The Spirit is at creation and the Spirit recreates after we've already died, after we've already given up, after we've already thrown in the towel, lost the game, He can recreate us. What an amazing thought. He's not us. He punishes sin. And yet, He is so gracious. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating mix here of who God is. We are to fear Him and yet come to Him. He's a raging fire and yet, and yet He invites us in. We're a hair that can melt. And yet He says, no, I can purify you instead of burn you up. God has revealed Himself in the history of Israel and in Jesus Christ. And lastly, at Pentecost. This is the third act of God, if you will. And it's the fi- it'll be the final one. It includes the final act. The end of time. At Pentecost, the Spirit comes in full power to empower His church. You could really say that Jesus started the church and the Spirit is the one who gives it power. He is the Spirit of Christ among us. Or you could say Jesus instituted the church and the Spirit constitutes the church. He makes it what it is. He breathes within it, just like He does here, into this formless body, just this dust. Which that's all we are. It's why at Ash Wednesday, the service, we we put the ashes on you and say, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. It's what we are. We're very fragile. And yet, we're eternal. Because the Spirit lives within us, we can have eternal life in God. He can make us whole. He can order our life. He can recreate in us something that we can't create ourselves. In areas where we've become cold. In areas where we have given up. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. He can be the spark that you need. Is He your answer? Do you know the problem? The problem is not just your body. 
It's your body and soul working in tandem. When I'm tired, it affects my soul. When I'm depressed, it affects my body. These things work together and the Spirit is that third component in our life that balances everything, that unifies everything in our life. We start with a community who is Israel. Then we see that in Jesus we have a union which ought to equal at Pentecost the communion that we, ought, that we long for. He brings everything together in the Spirit of Christ. It's what we were originally breathed into. It's what made us a human person. Is this Spirit of God. He is the one who constitutes us as a person, who makes us alive, satisfied. We're not just animals. We're hanging between being angelic and pure animal. It's where God set us up to be. We're unique. We're in His image. He is like us. He chose to become like us so that He could save us. Do you know that salvation this morning? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been filled with His Spirit to know His fullness? Have you submitted your body to be a temple of God? Does the Spirit of Christ live and work in you? He can. That's the good news. He is at work. That's even the better news. He's been at work for years in your life. This may be the point now where it's time to submit, where it's time to give in, where it's time to choose to love Him. Choose not to quench Him any longer or to grieve Him. He can create something in your life that you can't. And He wants to do it and He wants to do it now. Let's pray. Well.